I'm, I'm going to try not to gesture as much as I usually do because I have a mic. So uh, I'm Amanda. As you've just heard, I'm a philosopher. So uh, and my main work is in rationality. So talking on the topic of like EA and community is like a little bit new for me. But you know, I like to think that there's nothing that you can't do from the armchair. So uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try and apply that to like life advice. You know. Um, okay. You don't need to have lived life to actually give advice on it. Um, okay, so the title of this talk is The Importance of Being Nice. Uh, I gave this talk at a kind of EA event before and I've adjusted it slightly um, to give kind of more advice and things like that. So I'm going to be focusing firstly on like why I think it's actually important to be nice and why I think norms of niceness are really important in a community. And then for the second half, I'm going to be focusing on um, some things you can do to kind of be nice, I guess. Um, so the first thing I want to say about this is that hopefully most of this stuff is going to be things that you already know, but I think it can be quite good to sort of explicitly say these things and then explicitly like endorse them as a community. So uh, I just, it's a little bit strange to be talking about niceness to a group. Um, it kind of suggests that we're like not very nice. And so I want to kind of from the start say I don't think that's true. I think most of the people that are in the EA community that I've met have been like very nice, um, very accommodating, very friendly. Um, but I think it's good, and in fact, I think it's often necessarily, uh, necessary to like actively try and keep a community friendly. Um, and so hopefully this is a kind of way of saying like, like we should be doing that. Um, it can be kind of easy to think that we default to like really nice behavior with one another. And I actually think that's not true. It's really easy to just fall into really bad habits with people. And in a way, especially like as you think that you know people more and you suddenly just start thinking, well, I can just, you know, I know, you know, Tom's maybe seeming a bit tired, but I can just, I can still like enter into a really vigorous discussion with him and he won't mind. I think we start to do things like that um, and we can easily slip up. Um, effective altruism, like one of the themes of today, I think, has been that it's a community with very diverse views. You have people working in animal advocacy, you have people working in like political change, you have people who work in global poverty, and you have people working in existential risk. And in a lot of ways, it's a group of people who care deeply about things, but also can care deeply about different issues. Um, and given that, I think it's like important to focus on keeping discussions friendly. So that's going to be my main focus. Um, in that, I'm including things like discussions in person, but also like discussions online, where I think things can get particularly vicious. Um, and increasingly, a large number of discussions are happening not in person. So it's worth like applying these things over. Okay, so as a philosopher, I have to ask this question. Uh, you can't talk about a topic without asking, like, what it is that we're talking about? Uh, so one key question is, like, what is it to be nice? Um, I thought about this for, you know, like, at least, like, eight minutes and was like, this is a, <laughs> this is a, difficult, uh, this is a difficult thing. So I'm going to do the standard philosopher answer, which is like, well, we, we know it when we see it. I can point to it in the world. Like, even, and, uh, yeah, so, like... Being nice is not something that's easily definable. Like, it could be something like don't cause people unnecessary suffering. You know, like, that's a kind of easy definition that people here might agree with. But it doesn't quite get to the root of the issue because we care more just about the kinds of behaviors that, like, leave us feeling dejected and sad, I think. So I feel like a good standard for yourself when it comes to, say, having discussions with people is you want people to kind of feel invigorated by the end of the discussion and, like, if you can, like, maybe a little bit inspired. And at worst, you know, suppose like you're talking at them about Aristotle and maybe they're a little bit bored. I'm like, OK, that's like the lower end. But the thing that you don't want them to feel is something like 
dejected or alienated. And I think a good kind of standard is just if that happens, it suggests that someone wasn't nice in the conversation. You really don't want anyone leaving a conversation feeling like sad or alone or like they wish that hadn't happened or bad about themselves. Like that, it feels like this should kind of never occur. And so I'm saying like, even if people disagree with you and even if there's been a disagreement, you want to end that discussion, whether it's online or whether it's in person, with everyone feeling kind of good about themselves. That should sort of be a real, a real goal for you to internalize. So I'm just saying being nice, that's just whatever, in, like for our purposes, that's just whatever leads to this outcome. Um, I think that being nice can include both what you say and how you say it. There's a kind of obvious sense in which like, if what I decide to say to someone is, you're an idiot, there's not really a, like, it's not like I can just change the tone and then make that like a nice thing to say. It's like, maybe I should have just never expressed anything with that content. Um, so I don't think this just applies to like how you say things. And I think people can start to think it does, you know, so sometimes in philosophy, we have these discussions about how we can like improve the, the discipline. And you start to realize that you're really talking about ways of saying nasty things in really nice ways. And then you're like, maybe we should also think about whether we want to avoid saying nasty things to one another. So this is like being nice for my purposes. I think it's good to like just be really upfront about what the costs of being nice are. Um, it's not like this is something that's cost free. Um, and this is actually why I think a lot of people don't do it. And I think particularly in intellectual communities, it's really easy for people to stop being nice. And I think it's mainly three costs. You might think of more. Um, so I'm saying difficulty. Like a lot of people are naturally nice, but for some people, and I'd actually include myself in this, I think I have to cultivate niceness. I think it's really easy for me to fall into a pattern of just being hyper aggressive with people or just kind of like ignoring the niceties of conversation and diving straight into something without realizing that for a lot of people, like pleasantries and caring about how they are is like a really important thing. And you can't just like skip over it just because you're like, you're that person who works in that area. I really need to talk to you about that. Um, or if you're the kind of person that can just easily cultivate, sorry, easily just fall into this like pattern of like, you know, aggressive and awesome intellectual discussions and then fail to realize that sometimes you're uh, leaving people like by the side. Um, and similarly, even just with like standard social behaviors, some people just find them harder and like, you know, it can be an annoying thing to have to acquire. Um, that sounds a bit, you know, that's true. Um, I think another big thing, especially in intellectual communities, is that being nice in a discussion is being like has often been seen as being kind of intellectually weak or submissive. You know, so there's a lot of things that people do in discussions that are actually quite mean, um, you know, like just talking over someone else or, you know, just really hammering a point like beyond like it, when it's completely not necessary. So like if you're in a discussion and someone just kind of wants to bow out, really not, just not letting them and just like hammering again and again. That's seen as like quite intellectually strong. Um, uh, and so with, in, in some ways I think it's bad, but we do associate it with kind of weakness or submiss submissiveness. Um, and another one is just social costs. So like if you're like really mean to everyone around you and people still listen to you, you've done some cool stuff, which is like, hey, I don't even need to like be a nice person. I can just come in and trample all over people and people will still come back to me because I'm that awesome. Um, so I think there's like a kind of like I'm above social norms uh, type thing that you can end up doing. And I think it's also less associated with something like intellectual brilliance. Like when we think of sort of like geniuses, we very often think of people who just like ignore the social norms in order to like get to the point and pursue intellectual things. Um, and I think this is kind of unfortunate. And I think in many ways it's like just not true. I actually think this kind of brilliance theme is like 
a really bad one. Like, of all of the brilliant people that I know, I think the majority of them actually don't do this kind of stuff. Um, and I think it's important to kind of say that and, like, have that out there as, like, a thing. Um, and actually, of the intellectually strong people that I know, I think it's actually also they tend not to do this kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I think it's, like... I think it's something you want to stop before it becomes a kind of snowball of people associating this with like the brilliant people. So these are the three costs that we need to overcome. Like I think difficulty, you just need to show why it's worth it. So I'm going to do that by saying about talking about how it harms movements um, when people are not nice. Intellectual weakness, I think just um, I, I'm also going to argue that that's like that these aren't good features. And then with social costs, I think hopefully that's just about changing norms. So hopefully once I've convinced you that this is costly and that it's also not an intellectual virtue, the norms will change such that like we don't we start to kind of like think actually someone who's being mean, you know, is not actually signaling to, signaling good things to me. Um, they're not showing me that they're brilliant, they're showing me that they've actually just failed to think deeply about a really important area. Okay. So I want to talk kind of briefly about how meanness harms movements. Um, from a kind of personal point of view, I think this is actually a major potential source of failure for EA and for almost any movement is just if you're not good enough at like bringing people into the movement and like keeping people in the movement um, and one way in which you can really fail is just by having a movement that people don't want to be a part of um, so yeah I don't think this is actually a minor issue uh, so I'll talk a little bit about it so the kind of obvious ways in which meanness harms movements meanness makes group members less happy um, that's hopefully kind of obviously true. I think that very few people um, enjoy having people be mean to them. Um, meanness polarizes and splits groups. Um, so I think like if you have people like EA, people who uh, tend to like have different causes that they prioritize, um, if you get people being extremely unkind to one another or extremely dismissive of the views of others, you could easily imagine EA splitting into different groups of people who just pursue independent causes. And I think you would really lose something there because there's something just about general EA methodology and also having a diverse intellectual community where people can disagree but can give each other feedback on why they disagree. That means you would really lose something by actually having the group split off into like um, different, uh, different segments. I think it also reduces people's desire to join groups. Um, so when I've had, say, friends that I want to like, get more involved in EA, I think like, if they go to an event and someone is just cruel to them, they're basically never going to like, be a, become a part of the movement. Like, it can take one just very silly, dismissive comment from someone, and then suddenly you just lost a potential, a potential amazing person to like, come into the movement and really help out. Um, and finally, it just makes you look bad. If you think about anything that like, people in the media would love to pick up on, it's like, hey, look at this group of do-gooders who are actually just terrible to one another. Like, you know, like people kind of want that sort of thing to be true. Like, oh, well, they say that you should be donating all your money, but look at them. They're just like, they're horrible. Like, you know. Um, so, yeah. So I think that like, um, I was going to give some examples of like ways in which you've seen events like harming um, movements. Uh, I think some of these are so two things about them. Number one, they all involve kind of gender issues. Uh, I didn't realize this until afterwards. Number two, they all involve the word gate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, people, I mean, Kate might talk a little bit more about these, but um, the sort of, and I'm not going to talk about each of these. So the three I thought of were Elevator Gate among new atheists, Gamer Gamergate in the in the gaming community, Shirtgate in the science and shirt wearing communities. Um, <laughs> you know, and these are important communities, particularly the shirt wearing community. Um, so 
Elevator Gate was just an event where someone had something bad happen to them, kind of mildly bad, said this was mildly bad, and then it became this explosion of people being highly critical of her um, for kind of saying this, and it just became an extremely divisive issue. Um, and I think the meanness mainly came in the response, actually. It was just like it wasn't a very charitable response. Um, similarly with the other, well, the third one is like more controversial, but I think a lot of these just involve people responding in ways that are like what I think of as kind of standard cases of meanness. Um, but in any case, I think the, the issue that I wanted to highlight here is each of these were extremely small events, like very small, and they ballooned massively and really harmed each of these movements, at least for like, at least in the short term. And so it's kind of like, look, be aware of this because small things of this nature can actually like, be extremely harmful towards movements. And the badness of the harm scales with the importance of the movement. And if you think he is an extremely important movement, you should think that like, us having our own gate is going to be an extremely bad thing and something we should really avoid. Okay, I don't have much time, so like, I might have to skip over some of this. But I wanted to talk about two different kinds of arguments that you can have because uh, I think this is kind of important. So... There are kind of different goals that you can have with arguments. There's just getting closer to the truth. There's increasing social status, like look at how clever I am. There's persuading others, entertainment, all these other kind of goals. I'm going to focus on the first two, and I'm going to argue that there are distinctive ways in which um, these lead to different kinds of arguments. So firstly, you can like increase your social status by like winning an argument, but that's kind of zero sum. In order for me to win, someone else has to lose. Getting at the truth isn't zero-sum. If we both get closer to the truth, then everyone gains. So that's awesome. I like that as a goal. Um, I think that focusing on winning can lead to competitive arguments, and I think that focusing on truth can lead to what I call collaborative arguments. So features of collaborative arguments. Um, we're less charitable... Uh, sorry, of competitive arguments. I think in competitive arguments, we're less charitable towards other people's views, because why would I be charitable? I need to defeat this view. Um, we only criticize our opponent's views because why would I criticize my own view? I need to win the argument. Um, we commit people to the views that they put forward because then I win against them. Um, and I commit them as early as possible to the worst version of their view. Um, and I use more debating strategies. I try and switch topics if I realize that one route is not going to be favorable to me. I demand definitions. I feign not to understand their, their opinion. Like, I'm a philosopher. Like, I can, like, list these and do them till the cows come home. So it's like, you know, we know we do these things. Um, I think in collaborative arguments, it's just kind of the opposite. Um, you see people be much more charitable towards people's views. You know, the idea is that their job is to steel man the opponent's view. So if you think that someone's putting forward a view and you can put forward a better version, you do it because you want to get closer to the truth. So you want to know what the best version of this objection is. Um, you're more willing to criticize all of the views put forward, including your own, because you want to get to the truth. Um, you're going to treat the views as independent of the participants. Like, who cares if Bob committed to, like, Kantianism early in the discussion? Um, if, if it's the case that he wants to drop, like, some aspect of his view now, then, like, that's great. Like, we're getting closer to the truth. And I think we just use fewer of these debating strategies, both online and in person. Um, we're not interested in just trying to beat the person. So I think... Um, I think one thing that you can do here is just try and be aware of what the goals of your argument is. Um, try and think about what the participant wants to get from it, if they want to just get to the truth or if they like, are not enjoying the fact that they're in a kind of competitive argument. Um, and I'd say try and t set the tone for others when you're arguing. Um, so I think like, be aware about whether you want to actually engage in a collaborative or a competitive argument. And in 90% of cases, I think you should want to engage in like, collaborative arguments. Unless you just want to have fun and like, have the equivalent of like, a fist fight. In which case, like, go for it. Like, fist fights can be fun, I guess. Okay, <laughs> finally, um, seven useful practices. And I think 
these are useful um, for everyone everywhere. Okay, controversial one. Consider embracing a moral norm of assertion. Think about whether you should maybe, so like sometimes people talk about truth norms of assertion, assert things if they're true, or in this case, if and only if they're true. Um, I think you should consider certain things if doing so will make the world a better place. And sometimes that's going to mean saying nothing. Even if someone is wrong on the internet, you don't actually need to engage with them if doing so would just make the world a worse place. Um, I think another thing which I touched on earlier was consider changing your perspective on impressive behavior. I really think that this notion that like breaching social norms is impressive is something that's great to get rid of in yourself. Um, and it's really hard to change your own behavior while still being impressed by the behavior of people who are essentially being mean to, mean to others. Be charitable. I've said this already, but always steel man the views of those you disagree with. That's your job as an interlocutor, um, and it's like one of your most important jobs. Be respectful. Um, this is kind of obvious, but don't patronize, interrupt, question people's competence, act incredulous, talk over them, and so on. These are just behaviors that are like never acceptable. Um, okay, and finally, be intellectually open. So I think it's important to try to be open to changing your mind on an issue. Um, I think a lot of people, um, you know, it's easy to just get into your own mindset and like fail to like acknowledge the merits of someone of a view that you're disagreeing with. I think it can actually be a great thing in an argument to try and find the thing that you really like about someone's view and point it out explicitly. Um, so, it, you know, it just makes people real, like know that you're like listening to what they say. So even if you really, if someone just like really loves a charity that you think is terrible, be like, I'm really, like, I think it's great that you're thinking about things like health interventions. Like, so even if they, you know, suppose they want, they, they're, they're defending like a developed world health intervention that you don't think is very good. Just be like, I'm really glad you're thinking about charity or I'm really glad you're thinking about this sort of intervention. We at least have that, like, we have that agreement. Um, and I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, I would also say be non-judgmental. So I think fixed mindset talk um, things like comparing how smart everyone is um, is like extremely toxic and often unnecessary. It usually serves virtually no purpose. If you're not hiring someone for a job um, or considering whether to invest in their charity, then it seems like trying to like rank everyone by smartness is like a. It, it's just going to lead to people feeling really bad about themselves. Um, and I think also it's. Um, it's kind of problematic for like minorities as well because often the things that we associate with smartness are also associated with things like maleness and whiteness and you could end up sort of ignoring some really great people, um, also people with like things like depression. Um, and I think that's really bad. Um, so I'd say I don't see the point of it. I know people do it. I kind of still don't understand why. Um, I think it's a social status thing, but I do think it's toxic. Um, okay, know when to quit. Not every argument has to end in agreement. Learn to recognize when it's time to just agree to disagree and move on to a new topic. And think about that every time you engage in an argument and actually every time you say something else. Um, it's good to know that like, sometimes it's fine to just leave it there. Be like, I've said what I wanted to say. Like, people can take it as they want. But one final thing I do want to say is I think that these are norms for personal behavior and I seriously don't recommend that you try to enforce them in others. And I actually can't emphasize this point enough because enforcement is extremely tricky. And if you try and, especially if you try and enforce these norms in a space um, where people haven't agreed to participate by those norms, people can end up just feeling really attacked and criticized. And I think a better thing to do is to try and say, spread the word that these are good norms to, to have as personal norms and not to just give people like unsolicited feedback and say, you're not being charitable enough. I think that leads to a really horrible environment in and of itself. 
So want to just emphasize that, that like I think you want to internalize these norms, but I don't recommend that you start trying to enforce them in others. And if you do, you think seriously about how to do that, because I think it's extremely hard, and I don't think I've ever seen it done like very well. Um, so that's something to bear in mind. Okay, so this is the conclusion. There are costs involved with being nice in discussions, but being mean in discussions and in life in general is harmful for groups that you're part of, and it's counterproductive if our goals are truth. Um, getting to the truth on an issue. And there are lots of simple practices we can embrace and avoid to foster an, a friendly intellectual environment. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Amanda.